Welcome back to the Wildlife Explorer, a podcast by Essex Wildlife Trust where we aim to inspire a lifelong love of nature. Today's is a marine packed episode where we'll be discussing all things oysters, seagrass, plastics and more. We're joined today by Essex Wildlife Trust's own Alex Smith from our marine team who will be telling us more about some of our exciting projects. Stay tuned! Hello Alex, thank you for coming on to the podcast today, it's lovely to talk to you. For anyone that doesn't know, can you tell us a bit about your role at the Trust? Yeah, of course. So I am the Marine and Coastal Engagement Officer for the Essex Wildlife Trust. I've only been here for about three months now, so not too long, but it's yeah, really great to be part of this fantastic charity, doing really cool conservation work and yeah, great to get stuck into some of the projects which we'll talk about in a little bit. And how did you get into the conservation sector? Well, it's a bit of a a long story. I won't go into too much detail, but I'd say from a really young age, um, I've been quite lucky to grow up near the countryside. So I've always been out and about quite a lot, whether that's in a a woodland or by the beach or rock pooling. And that really rubbed off on me, really. So I've had a real love for wildlife and conservation in general, since a very young age so then that influenced me to go to university to study and then I've always had a real interest in the marine environment as well so that's kind of really pushed me to do that and yeah why I got interested in in the marine area. Oh brilliant that is one of the reasons I love our nature nursery and forest school because I feel like those childhood experiences have such a big impact into your love for nature going forwards. Now, can I ask you, are there any marine species native to Essex? Well, we have got plenty. Essex actually got one of the longest coastlines in in England, which people don't realise. People think of maybe Cornwall or Yorkshire having really long coastlines, which they do. But Essex, because of all the estuaries we've got, have got a really long coastline as well, which also means that we've got plenty of marine species to see. Maybe we don't see too many of them in person, but... We've got things like cuttlefish in Essex, which is really cool. We've got loads of oysters, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And yeah, loads of fish species. A really good variety of of species that you can see around Essex. Which species do you think people will be most surprised to know that we actually have in the UK? Mm, Around the UK, I'd say, well, maybe sharks. We've got quite a good amount of shark species in the UK. So people think of sharks being... Uh, maybe more populous and diverse in, say, the Caribbean or Bahamas, when, where you've got something like 40 species of, of shark species there. But actually, we've got the same number of shark species around the UK, 40 species that we can get, which is a pretty high number. And people don't realise that. We've got a lot of smaller ones generally here than, than, say, in the Caribbean. But we do also have things like blue sharks and basking sharks, which is some of the most beautiful and large shark species in the world and it's just fantastic to know that, that we've got them here. I would love to have a swim with a blue shark, that would be brilliant. Oh, yeah. They're just absolutely gorgeous to look at, this kind of blue sheen and I think you probably wouldn't be able to see them at first actually because they kind of blend in a little bit and they are quite shy but if you were to, to see one that's definitely a bucket list item for sure, yeah. 
Now, can you tell me a bit about your work and the projects that we do at Six Wildlife Trust? Yeah, of course. So at the moment, we're kind of mainly focusing on four projects as part of the marine and coastal restoration team. Um, one of which is the oyster restoration project. We're also doing a Share Our Shores project over the summer, which is for coastal nesting birds, trying to protect them and ensure they have a successful breeding season over the summer. We're doing a lot with seagrass, so seagrass restoration, and then also salt marsh restoration. We've got some fantastic salt marshes along the, the Essex coast. And again, they're a really important habitat. Um, so yeah, restoring those to kind of be at their higher levels, really. So let's start with oysters. I believe the project's called Anori. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Can you tell right. me a bit about that project? So yeah, Enori, that stands for the Essex Native Oyster Restoration Initiative. We are working with the Blue Marine Foundation on that. So they're a really great organisation. And yeah, so trying to restore the population of native oysters because they've had really high levels of population decrease. It's actually about 95% since the mid 19th century, which is obviously pretty worrying, particularly when you think how important they are as a habitat as well as a species, because when they're left to, to grow properly, oysters can form these huge beds and almost kind of create a, a nursery for, for juvenile fish, which is fantastic habitat for loads of other different species as well. And also they're really fantastic filters as well, so they really clean the water around them, um, which is actually demonstrated really well. You can see some videos online actually, um, where you compare two tanks of water, they've both got exactly the same type of water in them. This one of them has got these oysters in them and over time you will see that the tank with the oysters in just becomes completely clear and clean which is pretty amazing and then the other tank with with no oysters in just remains just full of sediment and cloudy and murky so it just shows you how efficient and important they are. I think I read somewhere they can actually filter about 30 gallons per oyster per yeah, day which is just that's right. staggering. It's fantastic yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, you'd think being a shellfish, they're quite well protected with that hard outer mm -hmm. shell. What threats do they face? Because you mentioned they're, they've seen some quite staggering declines. Yeah, so they face a lot of threats, actually, similar to you know, many other species and habitats in the ocean. Things like habitat loss, overfishing, there's a disease called bonomiosis, loads of pollution, invasive species, and some predators. There's a, a, a crab which you know, predates upon these, these uh, native oysters. And yeah, it decimates the population, So, which is why we're seeing all these oysters dying out, basically, which is obviously really worrying and why we're wanting to restore them and working on this Enori project. They've definitely faced some hard times then. Can you tell me <laughs> what the project does to try and help? Yes, of course. So the, the Enori initiative... Um, it established in 2011, so it's been going for a little while now. And it's kind of a collaboration between oyster fishers, conservation organisations, and it's kind of the UK government as well, actually. And it's one of the largest marine restoration projects in terms of area in the UK. So they're really focusing on recovering these native oysters throughout the area. And particularly because it's so historical here, so that the Romans, back when they were here, nearly kind of 2,000 years ago, um, they fished oysters as well. So it's been a really long-standing relationship between oysters and people. 
and Enori. So we're aiming to repopulate the Essex Marine Conservation Zone and restore its natural habitat to allow the oysters to recruit successfully and for numbers to grow back back to those historic levels from when the Romans were there. And so a couple of stats for you. We've got 25,000 oysters have been deployed to date, so really high levels. We're hoping that they can recruit and expand their populations as time goes on. And just recently, actually, what, what we have done in person as part of the trust, um, down near Brightling Sea Marina, we've actually put in some cages of oysters um, with a view to look at their mortality levels, but also what other species they can attract to that area. And we've also been engaging with some local schools too. We've had some fantastic days with local schools, getting them to learn about oysters and kind of finding all the different species around them, which they absolutely loved. So we're going to have more of those next year as well. But it was yeah, a, a really excellent educational tool as well. Now, I imagine oysters, they're not the most charismatic looking species. <laughs> Is it quite hard to get the public excited and empathetic about a species that doesn't have a face? You could say that because I suppose they're quite grey, maybe not the most attractive of species. Although if you do give them a nice scrub, the colours you get on them are really quite lovely and fantastic patterns on them as well. And although maybe you say people don't get too excited about them, when we engaged with the schools recently, they had a fantastic time. Maybe it's because of, you know, young person enthusiasm, but they had a really fantastic time looking at the oysters and learning about them. And so I think if people know more about them and kind of how important they are then I think people could really get behind this whole initiative and movement. They are actually a great species and they filter water, they provide habitat for other animals but there's another species we work with that is fantastic at doing just that and it is seagrass. Now for anyone listening can you tell us what it is and why it is so crucial? Oh seagrass, I love seagrass so much. Um, so seagrass is yeah it's it's really important um, it's a fantastic species and although people might think seagrass is that just a seaweed or maybe an algae but no neither of those it's a flowering plant and it's actually the only flowering plant in seawater that can pollinate whilst being submerged which is pretty amazing I think and they form these amazing lush meadows which is fantastic to see and they grow in kind of shallow, sheltered coastal waters. And you think maybe, well, when I was younger, I thought maybe seagrass populated more tropical areas, perhaps. But actually, we've got two species of seagrass in the UK, and they form meadows kind of all along the coast, really. We have, a little bit like the oysters we mentioned earlier, has loads of population decrease. There, we've got two species in the UK, which are, which are called Zostera marina and Zostera noltii, so that's common eelgrass and dwarf eelgrass, and they're really, really important. So they offer loads of coastal protection for us. They're a fantastic nursery in terms of providing habitat for juvenile fish to grow up. They're a biodiversity hotspot, so there's loads of species which depend upon seagrass as a, as a habitat. And they also help to stabilise sediment and the most important thing is possibly carbon storage. So we all know about climate change at this point and you know that the climate is warming and we've got too much carbon in the atmosphere. Or well, seagrass is one of the most effective ways of carbon storage or carbon sequestration. They're more effective even than tropical rainforests. They can take in 35 times more 
carbon than tropical rainforest, which I think is just an incredible fact for just this very kind of delicate, small plant to be more efficient than tropical rainforest. Is, I think just amazing. And they account for 10% of the ocean's total burial of carbon. And this is despite taking up less than 0.2% of the ocean floor. So it just shows you how important and effective they are. I didn't know it was quite that good at being a carbon sink. That is very impressive. What goes into the project for them then? Yeah, so we've got loads of stuff going on with seagrass at the moment, particularly over the summer months. So we're working with Natural England to deliver their remedies project, which has been around for a few years now, since 2020. And we're trying to protect and restore seagrass in five areas along the south coast of England, which includes the Essex Special Area of Conservation, which is where we are. So for that, we have been training up volunteers this summer to deliver recreational activity surveys. And to do that, these fantastic volunteers that we've got, we've got different areas along the Essex coast, and they keep an eye out over the course of July and August for human activities, basically, in areas of seagrass. And they collect all this data for us. So what's going on in terms of you know, boat movement or traffic, general activity, it could be a dog walking. And this is all in areas of either current or historical seagrass. So we know potentially what damage can be caused there with a view to restoring these habitats going forward. And then that's where Project Seagrass comes in, which is another uh, organisation we're working with. So they're kind of more the active restoration part of the seagrass. So in these areas that kind of I mentioned uh, a minute ago, we are looking at restoring seagrass. So we're doing lots of site assessments at the moment, including things like drones and counting all the teeny tiny pieces of seagrass within a quadrat. So there's a lot of counting involved. So I've been kind of brushing up on my counting skills lately. Um, but then in the future, we have a real view to restore the seagrass in terms of maybe transplanting or planting uh, seedlings from the seagrass in these areas so that hopefully we have big flourishing lush meadows all along the Essex coast back to historical levels which would be fantastic because we have lost a lot of seagrass um, over the past 100 years or so we've lost 90% of our seagrass meadows in the UK which is obviously a huge amount and 50% of that is in the last 30 so it's yeah really worrying so we want to restore it as best we can. How have they gone about decreasing by such an extent? Well, similar to the oysters, really, they've, they've got loads of threats. So they're actually critically endangered in the UK now. Um, this is because of temperature increase, eutrophication, which is like pollution, basically. So a lot of runoff from things like sewage or potentially chemicals used in farming, um, plastics as well, overfishing, so habitat damage from dredging physical disturbance, so people walking on or mooring their boats on areas of seagrass, invasive species as well, things like algae, which can outcompete the areas of seagrass. So there's, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of ways in which it's dying out, which is why it's so important that we, we stop that and help to restore it. I love that they showed it on the Wild Isle series. Oh, And yes. they showed Project Seagrass, and it's nice to have such a big programme like that showcase the species so the general public know how important it is and also the amazing volunteers that help us with it help project seagrass 
that are getting involved and helping do the meadow planting and things it is great isn't it exactly yeah and actually speaking of wild isles so with the volunteers that we've got this summer uh, prior to, prior to them starting we sent a survey around asking about how they got interested in it, in it uh, where they saw it advertised kind of their general knowledge about seagrass it didn't matter if they didn't know anything up to that point but two or three of them mentioned their motivation for getting involved and they said that wild isles was actually why they did it they they didn't know anything about seagrass before that but they watched wild isles and thought wow this, this seagrass is amazing i didn't realize we had it here i'd love to get involved and then so now we've got these volunteers joining in because of a program like wild isles so it just shows you how important these programs are and, and raising awareness for it Oh, fantastic. Well, hopefully one day you'll be able to say it was the Wildlife Explorer podcast <laughs> getting all your volunteers for <laughs> you. You never really know. Nice. <laughs> They're all supporting seagrass going forward. Now, I wanted to have a bit more of a general conversation now about plastics. We hear a lot about them being bad for the environment, but can you tell me why they are so detrimental to marine species in particular? Yeah, so plastics, I'm sure everybody's heard about the plastic problem now and we are always told to recycle try not to use single-use plastics things like that but i don't think people realize how big the problem really is so plastics not only the kind of the the physical properties of it in terms of clogging up the environment and there are species quite a lot of species actually which can consume plastic by mistake um, and it's not only just the, the big macroplastics as well, the teeny tiny microplastics are such a huge problem. I've actually done quite a lot of work on uh, microplastics before and uh, for for my master's dissertation I was cutting up loads of fish which was rather stinky but um, I was looking at the ingestion of microplastics and all these fish and 92% of the fish I looked at they had microplastics inside them, inside their guts, so it's really quite worrying. And even for humans as well, there have now been some papers on that we've they found uh, microplastics in, in our blood and our guts. I'm not surprised that it's affecting humans because obviously a lot of our diet is getting the microplastics in it now. And it can have quite a big impact on the biology of species from changing their sex to their endocrine systems to i think i heard a case of a whole pod of orcas it effectively made them infertile how much of an impact is it having on their biology yeah exactly there's a couple of really good examples you've just given um so the toxins of plastic so plastic is obviously uh, comes from oil and it's yeah, a toxic um material and so if we are ingesting that or other species ingesting that then it's not just the kind of filling up your stomach full of plastic so that you feel full and then essentially starve to death, which has obviously happened quite a lot. But it's also the toxins which leach out and poison you effectively, which is why uh, a lot of animals are suffering from that way as well. And it is all over the place. So we've got examples of plastics being found right through the water column. So you might have heard of the grape Pacific garbage patch. So there's a, an area in the Pacific Ocean of plastic pollution that's kind of all converged because of the ocean currents. And it's about the size of Wales, the country of Wales. It's this huge area of just a plastic. And then also way down at the bottom of the ocean. So I've, I've met uh, a chap who uh, drives submersibles down to the bottom of the sea. And I asked him, does he find plastics very often when he goes down? And he said, 
every single time. And this is even in places like Antarctica, which is as far from human civilization as you could get, really. And even there, they find plastic waste. So it just shows you the, the scale of the problem. How on earth do you go about cleaning those out of our environment or reducing the input of them into the environment? So, yeah, it is very difficult to see microplastics, but you can see microplastics, which the majority of microplastics come from. And microplastics, you can obviously see all over, whether they're on your beach, unfortunately, or in the sea or in the woods when you go for a walk. So I would really encourage people to, whenever you go out and about, if you see some, you know, some trash or garbage or litter, please pick a few bits up. Try to leave somewhere where you go better than when you found it. Just a few bits will help. I try to, whenever I go to the beach, just, I always come back with pockets full of uh, litter, which is sad, but really important to do. Um, and similarly, try to not use single-use plastics as well in your day-to-day -day life. Recycle when you can. Use long-lasting items instead or plastic alternatives, things like you know, a bamboo toothbrush rather than a plastic toothbrush, something like that could make a really big difference. So, yeah, do what you can. Yeah, because even down to the products that we're consuming can make such a big difference. And I think one good point is if you had an overflowing bath, your first step isn't to reach for the mop and try and clean it up. Obviously, that's going to help. But you're going to try and turn the tap off and stop the water from flowing. So we need to actually stop buying all of these plastic products as well. Even things like tea bags, you would think they're relatively harmless. I mean, a lot of people put them in the compost. But actually, most of them have made up of plastic, the actual bag, aren't they? Yeah, they're a combination of paper and plastic and people, as you say, put them in a compost bin without realising that they're not actually fully compostable. So when you are trying to, when you are buying tea, try to make sure that you're buying one that is compostable and it does not have plastic in. And the same with other products as well. In the cosmetics industry, quite often, quite a few products have got microplastics in without us realising things like face scrubs or body scrubs with the teeny tiny pieces of grit in them they're actually microplastics quite often but you can get ones when instead of microplastic they're made up of bits of apricot kernel so again make sure that you're trying to source products that are a bit more eco <laughs> basically and don't contain plastics in them that will really go a long way to helping our environments that's a good point because i think it's easy to sort of see these horror stories of the plastic in the ocean and sort of think oh it's not my bit of rubbish but actually every bit of plastic that we use is getting into the environment somehow so i wanted to move on now and ask you do you have a favorite marine species encounter oh that's a really good question um i well i'm really lucky in that i've been to quite a lot of places and i've spent a lot of time underwater diving and snorkeling so, yeah, I've had one that is maybe more memorable than most is actually with a species that we can find here, which a lot of people don't realise, although it wasn't here. Um, it, it was with a cuttlefish and I was diving and there were these two cuttlefish and we approached them very slowly. And it was just really interesting to see that this species that clearly has an intelligence and was trying to work out what you were. And also because they can change colour, which is in itself pretty amazing, you could see that the colours of them just kind of fluctuating and we were probably swimming with them for 
quite a few minutes before when we went our separate ways. But yeah, that was a very special encounter for me. I love a cephalopod. I watched that the octopus and me documentary. Oh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and it does really make you appreciate how intelligent these animals are. So obviously we're coming into the summer now and people are going to be heading to the coast more and more often. Are there any places that you recommend or things that people can get involved with to help out with marine related species? Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously really nice weather at the moment. So people will be flocking to outdoor areas and to the beach to maybe jump in the sea. And yeah, I will always encourage people to be out and about and interact with nature and enjoy the lovely habitats we've got whether that's you know on a really nice beach or a salt marsh they're really lovely places to go along the Essex coast and we've got a few fantastic nature reserves places like the Nays um, up near Walton um, and also down by Tollsbury or further down towards South End we've got a fantastic beach there which is actually where we've got some of our seagrass and yeah I'll always encourage people to do that Um, But always be careful, of course, of disrupting or interfering with any wildlife we've got there. Um, Also, please make sure to clean up after yourselves with with plastics. Um, We run quite regular beach clean events up at the Nays, so that's always something you can can get involved with. But also over the summer, um, one project that we're working on, I briefly mentioned it earlier, is the Share Our Shores project. Uh, We're working with the RSPB and BirdAware Essex for that. And that's helping to protect our coastal nesting birds. So we've got plovers, we've got terns, and we've got oyster catchers, which are maybe species people have heard of before. Quite often, people disturb these places because of maybe landing their boats or kayaks on these spits of land and disturbing the nests. And so we've been busy roping up areas and putting some signs out, asking people just to stay away a little bit from these areas and offering alternative areas to land and we've been doing lots of surveys the last few weeks making sure that some of the nests are surviving and we've seen some really cute chicks already they're absolutely adorable you'll be able to see some of them on our social media but yeah please just be wary of uh, the, the wildlife species that we've got on our coast and any more information you want about the share our shares com- share our shores <laughs> campaign you can find on our website Now, I wanted to ask you, what have you got coming up? Because it's Marine Week in July to August. It's a bit of a misnomer, isn't it, Marine Week? It's actually two weeks. I know. (laughs) But can you tell us what have we got coming up for that? Yeah, so we've been really busy working with the the comms department for that. So we've got quite a few in-person events, um, a couple at the Nays and some of the other reserves we've got, which would be fantastic for people to join in on and, and come along to. Um, but also we'll be doing quite a few live videos where I and some of our other uh, members of staff will be talking about our projects and places to go and just some really interesting stuff. So yeah, make sure you keep an eye out for kind of our, our videos on that. They'll be on Instagram, Facebook and all over our social media. So yeah, there'll be lots going on during National Marine Week. I'm very much looking forward to that one. We've got that all coming up the 22nd of July till the 6th of August. Now, to finish off on, it's my favourite question, mainly because I love a fun fact. And that is, what is your coolest wildlife fact? Oh, again, another really good question. That's one I've been struggling to find my coolest one or most interesting one. I was going to go for something shark related because I do love sharks, but 
I think people know a lot about sharks by now, so I'm going to go something a bit more obscure that from a species that we do have here from lobsters. So did you know that lobsters pee out of their face and they pee on <laughs> each other to communicate? Well, I am not <laughs> sure that is a custom that I want any humans to start. No, <laughs> quite bizarre, but also pretty impressive. They've got these little urine nozzles located under their, out, uh, under their eyes and they pee on each other to send messages, which is, yeah, pretty mad. <laughs> you know what? I don't think I'll ever look at a lobster in quite the same way now. <laughs> I like that fact. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned sharks, actually, because I learned a fact that I was horrified by the other day, and I don't think many people know it, and it's that in fish and chip shops, when you see rock on the menu apparently about 90% of them are actually a spiny dogfish which is a type of endangered shark that we have in the UK and I don't think many people would order it if they knew they were eating <laughs> shark to be no, honest. I doubt it and also I don't think many people know just the amount of shark species that we have got around the UK. Um, I think I mentioned earlier there are about 40 species. Some of them are maybe more of the um, character charismatic or bigger ones that we think of things like uh, the basking shark that we mentioned all the way to the thresher shark which is one of my favorites actually it's a very timid shark and it's quite small really but it's got this most amazing tail it's almost as long as its body length which it uses as a whip to either stun fish or to kind of disperse a shoal of fish to help it uh, predate upon them which is really groovy um, so there's a, the, just the diversity of life generally that we've got in the marine environment is yeah really special and people don't maybe appreciate it as much as they should um, which is why I hope people have enjoyed listening to this podcast and uh, yeah I hope, I hope people get to get out to their coast and enjoy the, their very special Essex coastline that we've got Maybe invest in a wetsuit because it's going to be quite chilly <laughs> here in the UK. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to me, Alex. I've really enjoyed this chat. Brilliant. Thank you, Frankie. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Alex and finding out a bit more about all the amazing marine projects that we have going on at the Trust. Why not let us know what kind of coastal sightings or adventures you guys are up to this month by tagging us on socials and like, comment and subscribe to our podcast and let us know if you're enjoying it. Thank you all for listening and join us next time where we'll be talking to Springwatch's very own Megan McCubbin.